Welcome to the Signal Line Remote Viewing Podcast, a podcast owned and run by Daz Smith from RemoteViewed.com, the resource for everything remote viewing. This podcast is dedicated to sharing remote viewing related interviews, views, news, resources, and much more. Hi, this is Dan Smith and welcome to The Signal Line. In today's podcast, we have a remote viewing discussion with Stargate remote viewer Angela Ford. This was recorded on 5th of April 2021. This is a two-hour Zoom chat with Angela Ford with questions from the remote viewing community. Angela candidly answers questions about her unique remote viewing method, WRV, and about her time in the Stargate unit and many other things. Angela Ford is a former Project Stargate remote viewer with the viewer number 079. She was in the Stargate unit from 1986 to 1995. After retiring from the US intelligence community after 32 years of service, Angela continues her psychic work by teaching remote viewing and conducting self-help seminars based on the aura. She also works for the Laboratory of Fundamental Research in Palo Alto, California, and in December 2015, Angela had the honour of travelling to Moscow to meet former Russian psychics who worked for the Soviet Union during the Cold War. We hope you enjoy the chat and look forward to any comments below. Take care. Angela, it's great to have you here and thank you very thank much you. for for taking the uh, time to spend all your experiences with us. You know, uh, it's going to be a great evening and we're really looking forward to hearing what you have to say. Well, thank you, and I'm happy to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay, it's great. Um, now, uh, I have lots of questions, as I said, from some of these guys, but d- does anyone that's here already want to uh, uh, kick off and ask a question at all? Go ahead, Don. Uh, okay. Yeah, I've uh, always wondered how many pages are involved in a typical military-style remote viewing session? Um, I would say that the report, uh, the typewritten report usually is about one page. Um, You know, I can't imagine it. I think about maybe a page, a page and a half being the longest. I would say that the sketching, the sketches, probably the drawings took up more more space. I, I would say typical drawings could be two, three pages. And then again, it would depend on the uh, site. If you had a large Soviet site that, uh, or a large Soviet complex and you had to draw buildings and kind of figure out which buildings were important, that would take a lot more um, space than maybe doing an individual or trying to access and describe an individual. Mm, okay. All right. But Thank the you. reports were not lengthy. I mean, the reports were not, it, you know, it wasn't like, it wasn't like you had to spend a whole day re- uh, reading the remote viewing reports. It, they weren't lengthy at all. So in terms of paper sessions, were you talking like 10 pages or less? Not or? even less. Not, ten, even. I would, not even 10 pages less. I would say three, four, five pages at the most. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, you have to get in there and get the information and come out. If you kind of, if you kind of stay with it and you stay with it, and then you start writing a lot, 
what happens is, is you go into imagination and then you're telling a story that isn't true. And that's, and that happens. Mm, yeah. Right. Cause the, the more I can remember, like if we would come out of a session and we were working with a monitor or somebody that was helping us write the report, they would always probe for more information, more information. And, you know, and then you, you're just answering questions. And then at some point it just goes into, you're making up a story and you're into <laughs> imagination and it's easy to slip from remote viewing into imagination. Yeah, it sure is. Well, thank so you very much. You go in and you get the information and come out. But, and if you get a little bit of information, they cannot take it. I mean, when they, I mean, if you just get a little bit of information, they cannot take it. They'll push you for more and more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. And that's when you get that's when things get messed up. Uh, anyone else got a question before we go to the list? Okay. Go ahead. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if John should go first. Yeah, go ahead, John. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm just curious how you got involved in the remote viewing program. How did you get recruited? Uh, were you already in the military? I'm um, and if you had any kind of psychic background or inclination before you started? Oh, yes. I had, uh, when I was a child, I had out-of-body experiences. I had dreams that would come true. So I was always sensitive. Um, and I was always interested in the subject. And if I had time off from school or whatever, I was, you know, I was taking classes. But I was born and raised in uh, Pennsylvania, but I graduated from college with a political science degree, and I moved to the Washington, D.C. area to work for the FBI. I wanted to be an FBI agent, but I didn't have the eyesight, and the pay was really lousy. And I was working with a woman whose husband was in the Army. He worked for Army Intelligence. And they just relocated, they came back to the States after living in Japan. So he was working for Army Intelligence, and she, I was working with her at the FBI, and the pay was really low. So he got, he got this her, his wife, my friend, a job with Army Intelligence. And about six months later or nine months later, she gave me a call and she said, uh, come, you should apply. The Army Intelligence is looking for internships. They're looking for people with political science degrees. You should apply. So I applied. And um, at the time, I had a clearance. Uh, so that helped. I think that the clearance helped me a lot. This was back in 1979. So they didn't have to spend time or money on trying to get me cleared for classified information because I already held the clearances. I was a woman, which at that time, it was, it, they were opening up, the, the world was opening up trying to get women and minorities in. So I, that, so I think I was accepted for those reasons, not that I was so brilliant or anything like that. So I went into the program and on the internship, um, I, I, was, I, I did an internship for about three years and they just teach you the different, how you collect, how you analyze and for the different collection modalities, how you analyze, you know, policymakers, but it's a whole world of the intelligence world. Well, over time I entered the Army Intelligence around 1970, must have been 1980. And I was there. And after I did my internship, 
I, I worked as a Central American analyst, and this was during the time whenever um, Noriega was um, in Panama. We had drug interdiction. There were drug problems with the cartel in Colombia. We, there, was insurg- there were insurgencies in Honduras and El Salvador and then Nicaragua. You had the Sandinista regime, which the United States didn't like because they were communists. So it was really a hotbed of activity down there. So I was doing the Central American desk. Is that what they call it? And, um, and, it, and then there was a, man, a general that came in. I was working for Army Intelligence Headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, and every so often they, a new person has to come in to take command. In the early 1980s, there was a man by the name of General Bert Stubblebine that came in and he became, he became head of uh, Army Intelligence. At that time, at that time, he was, I think, he, he used to teach at this army training center in Arizona, but he always looked for people who had special abilities because he was very interested in it. So I was very, I started, and then I was always taking classes. I was involved in it somehow. And so through people, I was able to meet him. And then when I met him, this was in 1984, I finally met him and he had planned to retire because he was when 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 Stubblebine was ahead of INSCOM, when he was ahead of Army Intelligence, he had the support of um, the there, there's the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the Pentagon. There was the Joint Chief of Staff for Intelligence. General Stubblebine had his full support. So General Stubblebine could have his remote viewers located up in Maryland. He, we were down in Virginia. And he could do what he wanted to do. But when, when this general, the J-2, retired out of the Pentagon, General Stubblebine lost his support. So he was kind of getting hassled with the new guy coming in. So General Stubblebine decided in 1984 that he was going to retire. So at the time that I met him, he was months away. He was going to retire in a few months. And so I had met him. So I didn't, I really didn't ask him for a job. I just wanted to meet him. Uh, He was interested in what I knew what what I learned, I took him to um, one of the instructors where I, um, I took him to a school from where I learned, but I thought that was it. And this is what happened. In 1984, General Stubblebine retired. So you had the remote viewers, the military remote viewers were working out of Fort Meade, Maryland. And they, when General Stubblebine retired, they were just sitting around waiting for new orders because they had, if, if a project closes down, they were waiting for orders to find out where they were going to be sent to next. And the people at the, this, these people were primarily made up of military officers, except for the secretary and except for one female remote viewer. She was a civilian who happened to marry a general. So that was the, that was the Fort Meade program. So they thought since General Stubblebine retired, they were going to, they were going out of business. So this was in the 84, 1984. 
Well, at that time, you had a national agency called the Defense Intelligence Agency. And there was a man there by the name of Dr. Jack Verona, who was a chief scientist who used to work as a chief scientist for CIA. Then he was brought into the Defense Intelligence Agency, and he was funding Stanford Research Institute with Russell Targ and Hal Putoff to look at what was being conducted. They were doing remote viewing tests or, or whatever. So Dr. Verona went to Congress and said, don't abolish the unit, transfer it from Army Intelligence to the Defense Intelligence Agency. So it took about one year, 1985, for all of that transfer to take place. So the people at Fort Meade sat around for a year, waited for the transfer to take place. In 1985, it became operational and legal again. And then in 1986, I was recruited into the program. And I'm sure it came from General Stubblebine um, because um, it, it, it had to have come from him because I didn't know anybody at the unit. So that's, did that answer your question? It's a long story. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it does. Thank you. It's very interesting. I've heard the name Stubblebine somewhere before. I don't know if it's in remote viewing circles. I must, it must have been. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was quite a, yeah. He was, did you ever see the movie men who stare at goats? Yes. There was Unfortunately. A <laughs> that walked in the, that was a general that walked into walls. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it in a while. I'll, I'll watch yeah, it again. Look at that. It was the general who, who walked into walls and he had a right hand man. I think Jeff Bridges played that part. That would have been Colonel Alexander, uh -huh. the guy that walks on. Wall. Yeah. But it was very true. I mean, that was very similar. Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Angela, through your, uh, when your introduction into the, uh, the Stargate unit, uh, if I remember correctly, weren't you uh, interviewed uh, and uh, yeah, for the job by Paul Smith? Paul Smith gave me a call. I was down in Arlington working, and he came down and, and interviewed me. I think two or three times, and then I was brought in. That was it. Was Paul Smith? But I think when I entered the program, the secretary took me out to lunch the first day, and she said, "Well, who are you, and how did you get here?" Because they usually have a lit. They usually, it was a program where you couldn't go out and advertise. And so you kind of had to look for people to see who you wanted to bring in. And she said, my name was never on the list. So I think General Stubblebine probably called up Bill Ray, who was the charge of the time and said, bring me in, which they resented because they felt like I got that I asked the general for a job. And of course he put me in and they felt that maybe some, they could have brought somebody else in and maybe I got special attention, but I didn't let that bother me because I've seen it happen so many times when I work with people that people, other people think they're so wonderful and then bring them out and give them better jobs and help promote them up the system. So I, so I didn't let that bother me because I've seen it happen to military people. I believe some other people had some questions. Yeah. Quick question here, Angela. Yes. Nice to meet you. Um, you mentioned previously in an interview that Daz did for uh, Eight Martinez that you've had many spontaneous psi experiences from when you were young, I presume, up until now. Has that 
psi spontaneousness diminished over the years or has it increased or? Um, I think what happens is that um, when I have, when I have periods of my life where I don't have to do much thinking or if I'm in, you know, sort of in a time of my life where I don't have that much to do, I feel like it, it's, it comes in very strong during those times. So it is it strong mean, now? I would say I'm retired. I think it comes in a little stronger intuitively. I'm older now. So, I mean, I think certain thing. I think more than I did previously. I, I don't know, but I think, I think the strength, when it happens, the strength is still there. Okay. I mean, if something's going to happen, okay, why do you ask that question, may I ask? Um, just out of curiosity, because um, we've been in the realm of doing this remote viewing for, well, this is my 25th year doing this, along with Daz and a few others. And going back and looking at some of my early sessions and how the information seems to have changed and I'm getting information as regards words, even though there are some words that have been delivered up which were completely unknown to me, so I had to spell them phonetically and then go and look them up and see whether or not they were correct or not. And I'm just trying to get an idea as to whether or not this tool that we use diminishes over a period of time. No, I think if you, in you when you first started to remote view, you did not get words, but now you're getting words phonetically. Yeah. Then you've evolved as a remote viewer. Mm. You're getting better. Mm. On a scale of one to ten, the session you did on Edgar Allan Poe's graveyard or grave, how did that affect you? You said it was awful, but on a scale of one to ten, how bad? I just knew I wanted to. It was bad. I mean, I can remember going in feeling s squeezed. I had, it was bad. That was a bad experience. And then another site they gave me was a bad experience. It was, um, what was the place where the Jewish people committed suicide because the Masada. Roman Masada, yeah. they gave me Masada and it was bad. Afterwards, I became very angry because they weren't thinking of the sensitivity at first, I just, it, the, both experiences were not good for me. Afterwards, I became very angry and I wanted the targets pulled because you don't need to do that. You do not need to do that to a remote viewer. Hmm. And they laughed about it. And then they did, they wanted, they, they gave me Masada a second time. And they were trying to get me to go up, like, you know, because you have to climb up to get to the, to the yeah. rock or the big mountain. And I wouldn't do, I, I just wouldn't do it. I said, I'm not going up there, but I didn't know why. And then when I saw that it was Masada, it was like I was blocking myself psychically not to go up and do that. I mean, if you're going to work in an operational mode and you commit yourself to that, sure, bad things are going to, you may get uncomfortable in, in that, but to do that intentionally, I just didn't like it. And I don't think it you needed. I don't think it needed to be done. It's you lose. They to do it intentionally. They're not thinking of the sensitivity of the viewer. 
And I think more than anything, that made me angry. So on a scale of one to 10, one being low, 10 being high, how impactful was that sight of Edgar Allan Poe? It was probably a 10. Wow. Probably a 10. Um, it was just crowded. It was dark. It was scary. Because we've had Bill Ray talking about a summary that he did on the Argentinian minesweeper the other week. And he's a bit of a adrenaline junkie, as he says, and he's been in a few situations. But that session really made him scared, feel really, really scared. So I'm just trying to get an idea, just for reference. But thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, you can get, but I mean, you get over it, but and it yeah, depends. The sometimes the way the information comes in, too, even if you're in an operation and it's not a pleasant sight, somehow you can work through it because at some level, maybe the subconscious comes in and protects you, protects you somehow so you don't have to experience the whole thing so you can come out and report on it. I've had that happen, too where sites have been pretty bad, but I haven't, but I didn't experience this whole awful feeling because something was coming in just for me, maybe like a protection or I knew not to go a certain way. So I, I don't know, but to do it intentionally, I thought what was mean. And I wanted the, and I wanted the targets pulled from out of the um, safes. Thank you. Sorry, I have a question. This is Heather from London, UK. Um, you spoke about Masada. I've been there. It's an amazing place in Israel. Um, your experience with the remote viewing with Masada, was that purely down to the remote viewing? Could it be a case of that you were just having a clear scent and even a past life experience? I mean, could you, would it be possible, would it be a case that you, if you went to Israel, say next week, you went to Masada to view it and you had the same reactions without remote viewing. Um, and also, um, there's, 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 I should imagine there's a lot of ethics involved with remote viewing. For instance, if somebody's targeting the Niagara Falls and in their childhood they had a near-death drowning experience, could that not invoke... Um, you know, yeah, the I same type of yeah. Okay, I um, first of all, um, the Masada. When I remote viewed Masada, and the reason I knew I remote viewed it because I had a monitor and he helped me through through the session to remote view it. Usually, if you're getting anything from a past life, it comes in differently. Okay. So I there is a difference between remote viewing and past life information. Okay. It's it's a different feeling. I think in a past life information, you're getting more of a storyline. You're getting um, you get more of a storyline in remote okay. viewing. You you're you're getting you may be getting feelings and you may be and you're getting sketches, but you're not getting that storyline. So okay. to me, I can tell the difference between a past life and a remote viewing session. Okay. Um. Now, after I remote viewed the site of Masada, I was, I did go to Israel years later and I was on top of Masada and I did remember it and I remembered the remote viewing that I did. And yes, it evoked the same feelings. 
However, I, you asked if, like, suppose somebody had a terrible experience at Niagara Falls and then they were asked to, to remote view it, could that conjure up something? I don't know, but I will tell you a story. There was a woman that I worked in the, that worked in the unit and I was tasked to teach her remote viewing. And one of the sites that I gave her was, it was Churchill Downs, which is the Kentucky horse race, the horses racing. And um, she came out of session and she was able to get the circle and then the structures around the building, but she did not get the horses. But I would say she had a successful, um, based on her drawings and her information that she wrote up, I would say she was at the site. Well, when she saw what the site was, she was so disappointed in herself. And she said, she said, Angela, why would I not get the horses? I love horses. And she actually owned the horse. And she couldn't understand, she couldn't understand why she had this site and why she would not pick up on the horses because she loved horses. And I don't, and it's, and I remember there was another woman there and they're saying, because you're remote viewing, it's, it, it, so I don't know. I mean, so to me, you can keep remote viewing very separate from maybe a bad experience or a good experience. Okay. Because remote viewing is a technique. You're just being asked to, to me, it's just drawing figures or drawing objects and just writing a report on it. To me, it's very technical. It's a technical, it's technical. If I give a reading or if it's, you know, that's more emotion. Okay. Angela, uh, we you. got a few questions that are kind of coming in the same. So I'm going to ask you this one. I know, you know, cause I've read the files and stuff that you were, you were trained in uh, CRV and you were trained in ERV. And I think you ended up using mainly uh WRV, which is written remote viewing. Uh, could you tell us about it, a bit about each of your experiences with those for the people here? Uh, when I first went into the unit, I was not allowed to do written, re they called it WRV, written remote viewing, which was my channeling. I was told I had a bad habit. So, of course, I did not do the WRV. They let they they wanted me to be trained in ERV, extended remote viewing, and the reason being was there we had two trainers, Captain Ed Ed Danes, and he was training the military in CRV, and then we had another trainer, and he was running Bill Ray because Bill Ray was an old time viewer, and he was Bill Ray was doing ERV. Then we had Lynn Buchanan, and Lynn Buchanan was brought in by General Stubblebine like me. We were the only two that were brought in by the general. So, Jen, so Lynn Buchanan was doing ERV, but he was also learning CRV at the time. And then there was me. So I think I was given ERV because the trainer needed somebody, he needed work to do. And Dames had all of his military people. He had, he had sharp, well, he had Mel Riley. He had um, Paul Smith. Um, at the time he had Charlene Schufelt. She was married to the general and Mel Riley. Now Mel was it, he was a, he was an old time reviewer, remote viewer too. So he was doing ERV with CRV, but I think, 
I think I was brought to Gene because he needed somebody to teach. So I was brought into the ERV. So to me, it was just going into a meditative stance. I don't know if people ever heard of the book or read the book, The Silver Mind Control, but it was, it was just like The Silver Mind Control, where you go in, bring up a TV, and then watch the picture and, re, and, and you know, report on what you saw. So I did the ERV for years and years, and there was definitely, you know, the ERV and the CRVers. Well, in about about a year, year and a half, two years, things changed. Um, Skip Atwater, who did not want me, who said I had a bad habit, and he did not want me to do my channeling, he he left the unit, he retired. Bill Ray left the unit, and then we had an operations officer, Fern Govin, came in, and Dr. Verona just gave him the job because he was getting tired of the military running running it and then leaving. And he was always looking for somebody to run the program. So he just transferred it over to a civilian. Well, Fern was an old time remote viewer and a lot, and he wasn't enamored with CRV and Fern said, you know, just do whatever you want to do. It doesn't matter. And I think Mal was into the pendulum and dowsing. Paul, Paul Smith started to get involved with the dowsing and also at the time, Ed May began working for SRI in 1985, and he really wasn't that strict like Hal Putoff and Targ with the steps or with the, with, the, with the rigidity of the methods involved in remote viewing. Now, Ed was big on protocols. Everybody was big on protocols, but actually the method, the method, the methods weren't that important because Ed always felt, and so did Fern, it doesn't matter what you do as long as you're getting the information. So that opened the door for me to do my channeling. And Dr. Verona uh, called and he said, let's just call it WRV, written remote viewing. So I did my written remote viewing and we found out that it was good for individuals. We could find people. It was good for locational work. We could, we could find people, we could find things, we could, um, we could access personalities. It kind of lent itself to things. It, we were getting away from this fixed site, looking at the Soviets and the big industrial complexes. And actually, after the Soviet Union fell in 1991, that whole WRV led, led right into what we were to do next, which was terrorism, um, drug interdiction. Now, a lot of people think that all I did after that was the WRV. That was not the case. I did WRV and ERV. So then what happened, then what happened was the military people said they felt that I should have, that I should learn the CRV because that was the only, that was the way to go. It, and Fern and so Fern brought me in his office, and he said, "Just do the just do the CRV just to make them happy." And I said, "I'll do the CRV, but I want the CRV people to learn ERV. In other words, get if I have to be cross trained, then you get the CRV people. I want them cross trained. So then some of the C, so then the CRV people were, were uh, trained in 
ERV. So I was trained in CRV, but I don't know. I, I remembered I was trained by Ed Dames. It, it just didn't do anything for me. I, I just couldn't. Um, I kept jumping around. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I read, know. I remember I had an argument with him. and yeah. uh, I remember from our interview, you said that um, you felt at times that Ed Dames uh, talked too much during the sessions and the, he, he led you. In oh, Ed, led, Ed, Ed Dames was known to lead. He was just, he was just known for that. I mean, if you knew, if you knew you were going into a session with Ed, he was just going to feed you the information. I mean, and even whenever he was told about it, 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 it just, he couldn't help himself. And I think there was a time when we would go into remote view that the monitor knew what the target was. And then Ed May decided to do a double blind. That way, nobody knows what the target is. But then Ed would just jump around and guess what the target I mean, he would say, oh, you must be here. You must be, you know. And, you know, you'd come out so confused because he's talking. And even if he didn't know what the target was, he's, he's in his mind, he's thinking what it could be. And that's it. And so he's leading you there. So and if that's not the target, then you had a miss. So, I mean, I could say some of it was very dysfunctional. There was a lot of learning. I mean, we, it was, we had a lot to learn. We had a lot to learn. Makes sense. So, that, that's pretty much what we're, the situation we're still in now, I think, in community-wise. Who would, have been, of, who would have been the best non-leader as a monitor? The most what? Who would have been the best monitor for not leading um, I would probably say, well, Bill Ray never monitored. He was in charge. He just remote viewed. I would say probably Lynn Buchanan. Oh, and probably Paul Smith. But Paul had a way, he'd just giggle sometimes. I mean, he, he could be annoying because he'd move around too much and just giggle or something. But I would say um, probably Lynn Buchanan. And I think Lynn was a good instructor, too. I think he was a good teacher. He taught. Um, uh, I he. Yeah, I would probably say Lynn. And then I worked for Doctor Verona. He was a good monitor. Fern with Fern wasn't a good monitor. He would lead to. I mean, they all couldn't. You just. I. It's better that nobody knows anything. I have a question from Anita. I don't know if Anita wants to ask it herself, or do you want me to ask it from the chat window? Oh, I can ask which one, the first or the second? Uh, either of them, either of them. All right, let me find it first. Well, the first one, um, with your background in remote viewing with military and intelligence, do you believe in the claim that the United States military and intelligence discontinued their use of remote viewing? I do think they did. I think they did. And I'll tell you why. At the time that I was involved with the program, there was a lot of money being brought into the black program by Congress. That was a three pronged program. We had remote viewers who collected information. We had the science. We had scientists. We were funding. We were funding universities. We were funding people to f figure out how it worked, and we had analysts. We had Dale Graff looking at what other countries were doing. He was looking at the cap 
what other countries were doing. We had a foreign assessment, what were other countries doing? That was a very robust program. Plus there was a building that we would go to and work. So yes, you could say that this program existed. When it ended, the reason it ended is because we lost a lot of our big supporters in the, that kept us in business retired. Dr. Jack Verona retired, Dale Graff retired. Senator uh, Cohen, a lot of the people that sat on the Senate Select Committee left, Senator Inouye, Senator Glenn. We did not have the support that we needed. There was a General Ratman who was the head of the uh, Air Force's Medical Intelligence Command. And he was a genetic doctor and he wanted research into the program. And when he retired, he knew how to put money into the, um, into the budget so that after he retired, money would be going into psychic research for 10 years after he retired. These were the big boys. They knew how, to, they knew how it worked and they knew how to make it happen. But they also believed, they, you know, they had a strong belief in this. But little by little, as they were kind of going down and leaving, we were losing the support when Dr. Verona retired, they more or less transferred the program to a gentleman who really just did not want the program. Uh, he, um, it was, a, it was a, a political hot potato. People either were, you know, you, people, it, there, there was, people either wanted it or they did not want it. Whether it worked or not, there, there was a lot of uh, personal views, personal outlook. So, so, I think when it closed down, I had to go back to headquarters to work as an analyst. When I went back to headquarters to work, a lot of people approached me. I got a call from a, a, um, a policymaker at the Pentagon. He wanted to meet with me. He wanted to have a program. I got a call from an office from DIA. These were the counterintelligence people. They wanted a program. Well, all, so... Every people would call me and how can we do this? And, and, and everybody wanted a program. Well, every time somebody went forth to try to put a program together, they were either laughed at or shut down or that their, or that their um, career was threatened. So then what would happen is then these people would stop talking to me and they would act like they didn't know me. Well, so that's, I don't think. I just don't think a program's going on. And if there is, it has, it's just not, it, if there is, I don't know how it could be. If they're using remote viewers just to channel information to somebody, it, I don't know. I don't know. I remember being at DIA and I remember talking to people and this one guy used to tell me, hey, I remote view, I'm still remote viewing for for, for General Stubblebine because Stubble, General Stubblebine retired and started working as a contractor for the government. Maybe he was remote viewing for in giving information to General Stubblebine. I don't know, but that doesn't constitute a program, not the kind of program that I'm thinking of. But a lot of people think that a lot of people think that there's still a program going on, but I highly doubt it. People had it with remote viewers. We were we were whiny. We were whiny and immature and emotional. 
um, I think people that were trying to keep it together just got tired. They were always fighting battles with Congress and that, and there was human use rules because when the CIA had the program back in the early years, they were giving people, they were what experimenting with the mind and giving people LSD. Um, there was just a lot of not there were, and I, I think that's why, um, and I think DIA just didn't want the program. The man just did not want it. And so that's why uh, congressional staffers came in and tried to move us to CIA, and CIA wouldn't take it. And I think it's because they got a bad rap for whenever they were doing it in the early years when they were giving people LSD. So I don't think so. And they, because CIA closed it right down. They said they were going to do a six-month review, and they the the company that they called in to do the six-month review, the CIA didn't even give them clearances, so they couldn't even look at the operational work to see some of the successes that we had to say that it did work. So it it was a sham. CIA knew their their mind was made up six months. Their mind was made up six months prior before they shut it down that they were going to shut it down. And they made it look like they did a formal review that amounted to nothing because um, I went over to the CIA. I went to Langley um, after the CIA closed the program down because a policy, the policymakers at the Pentagon, the, the Department of Defense policymakers wanted the files. And when we went and they told me to they asked me to go with them. And when we went to the CIA to get the files, the boxes weren't even opened. So the CIA never looked at the information. The people who did the review didn't have access to the information. So I said, these boxes are exactly how they left Fort Meade. Um, so they were never looked at. So it was, it was, it was, I, 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 that's why I just don't think there's a program. And even if there were, it would take so much time to get to get it back. I just don't think so. But on the flip side, on the flip side, Angela, if you had a program that ran and was refunded and refunded for nearly 20 years, surely if they were to say, oh, this doesn't work, they would have got rid of it after two, three, four years, not 20 years. I mean, it's like having a tool. You're using it for 20 years and suddenly you say, oh, this doesn't work and blah, 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 blah. Let's throw it away. I'm thinking the opposite. If I had a tool for 20 years and that served me well and produced good results, why would you throw it away? I don't think the, I don't, I think the people that were in charge of it just did not want the program. They did, they, they, if there was, if there was wrong reporting, they were embarrassed. I th- or people were in neutral. I know at the end, the management at DIA just did not want us. And that's why c- congressional staffers came in and said, we're going to, let's move you to CIA. And I, and I don't think George Tennant wanted, I just don't think George Tennant wanted the program. So there's been there's been some speculation, and Daz knows about this, with a group that Ingo trained. I think it was about half a dozen guys. They came in, they got trained, and 
poof, nobody heard of them again, which kind of makes it a bit sort of suspicious in the fact that they could have gone dark, pardon the pun. Maybe so. I mean, maybe so. Maybe so. And maybe so. Maybe they're taking small units, three or four people training them, putting it, putting them in a remote location someplace away from D.C. Maybe, and using them. I mean, who knows? I mean, I mean if, if, if that were happening nowadays, it would probably follow the model that they're doing with the uh, UFO research, where it's all uh, it's all done by subcontractors, not actually within any remit of the military or the DIA or CIA, you know, they subcontract to another company hidden behind another com- company. So it's, you know, it's, it's essentially, they don't own it anymore. They're just paying, paying out of black budgets for it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, but I just, I just highly doubt it. I mean, I, I just highly doubt it, but I mean, maybe you're right. Taking the, but I can remember just talking to people, you know, people say, Hey, I'm still, I'm remote viewing. I'm, I'm giving general and maybe that is, but I don't know if that's, I don't know. When I think of the program, I just think of going to work with these other viewers and getting money and the foreign assessment and things moving in many different directions. I have an anonymous question uh, for someone who doesn't want to be said on this. They said uh, they've heard rumors that there are a lot of egos and headbutting in the Stargate program between viewers. Uh, and they are asking, uh, are you aware of this? And if so, between who? Or you don't have to answer who you don't want to. Oh, I think we all had. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't, they didn't like my, they didn't like my WRV. They felt that it wasn't scientifically proven. Um, And I think that they wanted to scientifically prove it. And I wouldn't allow myself access to the other viewers to scientifically prove it because they weren't scientists. They were um, they were remote viewers like me. If it were to be scientifically proven, you get to me, you, then you get me to a scientist, or you get me to the right person that can prove it. And I think that they wanted um, they wanted me to. Well, first of all, I think Fern had said that Angela's doing WRV, and if anybody's interested in learning, just go to Angela. She'll teach you. Well, they were going to come to me. The military officers were not going to come to me to learn how to do WRV. It wasn't going to happen. And um, and I think they wanted they wanted access access to me to to find to say whether or not it worked well. Whether or not it worked, we're beyond that. I'm in operations. I'm finding hostages. I'm finding a, a, a DEA agent that went bad. I'm doing some other things. And, and they're saying, well, we have to prove this. Well, try to prove it all you want to. In the meantime, I'm working operations. I also felt my ego was very bruised because every time I would uh, get some information that was correct, Fern, my boss, Fern would say he wouldn't tell the others because he didn't want to hurt their feelings. So I felt I was doing a lot of work that should have been recognized, but wasn't recognized because we didn't want to hurt their feelings. So, yeah, I mean, and then I would get angry. And so, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of dysfunction. There was a lot of, um, I mean, I felt that I was very bitter after a while because I felt that other people are doing less and they're getting recognition. Um, 
they're getting recognized and I wasn't getting recognized. And I remembered when I did that, the, the DEA agent, um, they kept telling me it wasn't based on my information, how they found the man, and it was based on my information. So, yes, I, w- I, bec- I was very frustrated. And I'm, I'm only human if I do a good job. And if you do something like that, I mean, the DEA agent, that was like the, the Olympic gold medal. It, it doesn't get any better than that. That's the, and, I'm, and I couldn't get credit for that. So, yes, I, I was hurt. I was frustrated. I was angry. Yeah. I'm only human. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we're talking about your WRV, one of the questions from one of the uh, members here, Rich, he says, uh, I always considered channeling was creating a connection with a spirit entity in order to get information. Um, is this correct as it pertains to your WRV? And yes. with that being said, do you think channeling and remote viewing tap into the same source, but operate under same laws for lack of a better word? I think I think CRV and I think channeling or WRV, I think it's the same thing. Because if you do CRV and if you watch and if you watch chan- if you watch somebody channel, they're doing the ideograms. The channeling, the way that I write, it's an ideogram. They in, in CRV, they're calling it the ideogram. You're telling me, you're telling me that that when um that sometimes you phonetically get words. Is that true whenever you do CRV? Are you getting words phonetically? Not that they have to spell it correctly, but yeah. are you... Re- that's channeling. That's, they call it the signal line. Hi, that signal line. wonder if that signal line happens to be a little angel just feeding you information. What would you think about that? But yeah, it's the same, th- it's the same thing. If you're, you're, chan- you're a writer, a songwriter... An artist, they're channeling, they're, they're getting it, they're getting it from the source. When you're doing CRV, you're gaining it from the source. When I'm doing my WRV, I'm getting it from the source. The information's out there. Whether when you perform a psychic feat, whether you use CRV, tarot cards, crystal balls, automatic writing, that's only the manifestation of the information. The information's out there and it's going to your head. It's a mental feat. It's mind. You're getting the information here and whatever you're doing with your hands, whether CRV or whatever, that is the manifestation of the information. So how it cannot be different by laws of it. It can't be different. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, One more question and then I'll open it to these guys again. Um, and this is from Pablo. Uh, based on your experience in the USA and with the Russian program, did the Russians get something like the training that had been developed in the USA? And uh, they kept researching it until now in contradiction to the USA leaving the effort. Okay, say that. Please ask that question again. Yeah, he's, uh, he said, did the Russians uh, use something like the training that was developed in the USA? And bearing in mind the USA left the effort, did the Russians continue with theirs? Um, I think what happened was, um, okay, actually, the so when I met the, the Soviet psychics, they actually did channeling like me. They did WRV. When I met the people that worked in the unit, I asked them what they did, and they did WRV. 
And that's what they teach. They said they teach, they open the, they open the channel is what they call it. When we teach, we teach people how to open the channel is what they told me. Um, I think that some of their scientists, some of, they did not have the strict protocols that we had. They did not adhere to real strict remote viewing protocols, but I really don't think, I think they were just channeling. Um, their scientists were, I think they were more involved with like um, psychic machines, psychic weaponry. I think they were more involved in that than we were. And they were involved in PK, the movement of objects or psychokinesis, which we weren't. Now, I think they were more, that's what I think the difference was. The difference was too, is that their psychics would travel with Gorbachev and with Yeltsin. Their psychics were put around these leaders because if they if these leaders were out, they had to sense if there was any type of threat. Um, so their their psychics were brought right out in the open with them. We were not brought out in the open. Another thing, operationally, the Soviets like the they liked their remote viewers near the site where they were remote viewing. They would take them to where the, um, I don't know. We, we weren't concerned about, uh, we didn't, distance didn't bother us. I mean, if I was working at Fort Meade, Maryland, and they wanted me to look at something in Florida, I did not need to be brought down to Florida, but the Soviets looked at that differently. And I don't think, I don't, I know that after um, the Soviet Union fell, I still think they did a lot of work in the scientific realms. But by that time, I think that the group, the remote viewing group was breaking up. Excellent. Thanks for that. Uh, and I think uh, Liz, Liz Cross wants to ask you a question. Do you think the Soviets had a more Calvin public... Okay, say that again, due to the public what? No. Hi, Angela. It's Liz. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? You look, you look fabulous, by the way. Sorry, <laughs> I'd, sh I'd show my face, but I'm covered in baby food. Um, I have a question for you, please. Recently, I was tasked to view uh, Bob Lazar, who was the one that came out with all the information about Area 51 and alien uh, you know, the alien spacecrafts and things like that. But I did notice when I started viewing him, he had this protective barrier put around him that was like a, a psychic wall. And I could actually see it. Um, sorry. So I wanted to ask you, were you ever tasked at any point to put barriers around people that had a lot of important information? No, we no, we weren't tasked to put um, to put barriers around people. No, we were just asked to remote view because, you know, when the so when the in the early years was this back in the fifties or sixties when the CIA had the program, CIA was doing a lot of goofy stuff, and. They, if they, Congress just shut them down after some point because I think somebody jumped out of a window and killed himself. So when our program, when they were trying to bring this program into fruition, we had, they had to go to human, they went to lawyers, the general counsel, and there were human use laws. And I think 
the only thing our office was tasked to do was to remote view. They didn't want to hear about UFOs in, um, you know, they didn't want to hear about Area 51. We were only tasked to remote view, and that was it, but not to put no. We were just Thank to strictly you. remote view. Thank you for that. Um, the information that I got during that session was that the CIA actually tasked a psychic to put that barrier. Now, the barrier did dissipate after about 10 minutes, but I, I felt quite unwell. I had cold chills going down my spine. Um, it was scrambling things. I could see the information coming down the signal line, but uh, then it would only hit the wall and it wasn't very clear. So it, it did dissipate after about 10 minutes. And then I did another session to find out more about the wall. So th thank you for that, Angela. I mean, it can be done. I mean, it can be done. I was never asked to do. I mean, I'm not saying that it can't be done. Maybe other viewers were asked. I don't know. But again, you have to remember we were this was this was very preliminary stuff what we were doing. And they had, and we had a lot of human use. We had a lot of, I mean, we had, they, they couldn't, I mean, you could, I could go in the office and if they wanted me to work, I could say, I don't feel like working and I didn't have to work. I mean, it, human use was in place big time. There was no manipulation of the mind. Nobody could manipulate my mind. That's why whenever you had a monitor, they would say that this, that this, the remote viewer is putting putting himself or herself in a self-hypnotic st state, self-hypnotic. I'm doing it to myself. And that's how we, and that's what we sold to the D to department of defense. It couldn't be that the monitor would go in and then put me in a self-hypnotic state. Then that means that the monitor has control over me. So that's, see, this was all, it was very touchy. So that's why they kept it strictly to remote viewing. As far as what other people did, what they said they did, or if other people asked them to do something, I don't know. But, but be, you know, I hope that helps. Anyone else uh, on the board here want to ask Angela a question? Yeah, I do. I want to ask. It's okay, my mic. Go, go ahead. It's okay. Um, Angela, what can... Can you hear me? Is it okay? I can hear you. Angela, what's the best method to get good results? The best, the best methodology? Is, is my mic? Yes. Yes, because I'm trained in CRV. I actually trained with Lynn Buchanan. But is, can you improve on that? Um, you, have you tried ERV? You don't, I love ERV. Have you tried ERV? No, I haven't. Ask, are you training with Lynn now? No, I trained 20 years ago with Lynn. <laughs> Try ERV. Do you know okay. what ERV is? Do you know what ERV yes, is? Yes, I know Daz uses it. Do you meditate at all? That's right, isn't it? Does use it. Yeah, of course, every day. And, you and again, before doing a session as well. Well, you know, if you meditate, yes. you can do ERV. 
if you meditate, you can do ERB. Okay. I would try ERB. But I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure everybody's good. Like, who's the gentleman that said that all of a sudden he's phonetically, then you're getting better. You're moving up. Because I think CRV only went to how many stages? Four or eight or what? How many well, stages? That, that's, a, uh, that's a controversial subject. Um, in, in, the, in the manual, it went to six. Um, Tom McNair postulated more than that. Ingo did uh, experiments with eight. And later on in some of his documents, he experimented with even more methods that went up to something like about 12, if, I'm, if, I'm, if I remember correctly. Yeah, all these stages, it was just driving me crazy. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I have a question from Rid here. Rid asks, uh, what was the most interesting target you've ever viewed? Actually, I liked... Um, I liked some of the training stuff. I liked um, um, the, what was the St. the Arc, the St. Louis Arc. I liked some of the um, training sites. I found the St. Louis Arc very interesting. Um, I found um, some of the Soviets' fixed sites were boring. And I liked working the hostages because in Lebanon, I worked the hostages in Lebanon and it wasn't so much locational work, but it, there was, I forget, there was a handful of hostages. There was Terry Waite, Terry Anderson, uh, Colonel Higgins, who was a Marine person. And then you had some civilians over there. Like, And I can remember um, just the movement, like this hostage was here and now it's being moved to here. And then doing the health statuses, there was a, a lot of, it was very stimulating very and there were it was very I would it was very stimulating to watch and then we would do locations and then I would get health statuses and um and then just other information that I would get that would kind of help the analysts kind of get more gain more information it would lead them in the right direction but I would say the hostages I know the Wyoming kit was interesting but I didn't but I just came out with one word on where he was. Nobody believed me, which made, um, so I figured nobody was going to look for him because I was way out of, of, you know, it just didn't make sense what I said. Um, So I would say the hostages because there was, you felt like you were doing something like maybe I could help prevent, maybe I could help save a life. Um, you know, I felt like I was contributing and that it was just interest. It was just very stimulating with all the different personalities, with all of this terrorism going on. So I would say, um, I would say the hostages it was very interesting, very That's interesting. Uh, the other stuff, when you look for something, it's just, you know, you're just looking for a location, get in there, say where it is. And that's about that. Thanks for that. Uh, anyone else here got any questions before we go to the chat? Go ahead. I have yes. kind of an unusual question for you. I got into uh, CRV because I was involved in a, a criminal investigation and a CRVer gave me some information that surprised me. So I decided to study it. So now I've been doing it for 10 years. Now I teach it. I just think it's amazing. I love it. It's fantastic that this exists. But the interesting thing is that this original problem that occurred, you know, over 10 years ago, 
still, I haven't resolved it. And I've asked many amazing CRVers to help me with the problem. And we have the, uh, the normal problem that the police aren't really interested in the case. In other words, if we give them leads, so what? They have things to do every day and they can't be bothered with this craziness from 10 years ago, much less with psychics that they don't know about. So the, is what I've been trying to do, even though I know everything about the case, like I have so much previous information before I got into CRV, it's almost impossible. I get these little glimpses, this little information is what my hope was that somehow I could get the information that's necessary so that these people would be brought to light and then eventually brought to justice. So it's just kind of like a convoluted, crazy situation. Do you have any good advice? Okay. What I would do if I were you, do you know any other people that uh, can remote view or can do CRV or that can? Oh yeah. I'm in contact with many. Then you know what you asked somehow kind of put questions in an envelope, get them to work it because just continue, continue, but you, you stop working it and, and let them work it and let, and then take their information and see where it fits in. Okay, thank you very much. You do, yeah, you you know it, you've done it, and you're at a standstill. So get it, get get somebody else well, to do it for you. I get information every two, three months. Something comes and go. What does this mean? And once I actually got in a vehicle, went three hundred kilometers to a town I'm not familiar with, went to a building, and people came out of the building and seemed to identify me. It scared the hell out of me, and I left. But oh but I, I think the more important thing is. Uh, your answer to me is much clearer, much better, and that's what we're going to stick with. Now, I have a second question, and I hope I'm not bothering the other people. Um, I love studying the history of CRV and different viewers and all this. And uh, Joseph McMonagall was on uh, a Japanese program that you can watch in, on YouTube in the Japanese language, where he, was, he had a group of missing people. Let's say there was 25 people. So he would go into the studio, do his sessions. He had video of the sessions and live, they would send out a team to go find these people. And, and Joe, of course, successfully found half of the people. But he reported afterwards that some of the people he was in contact with, like when he's getting the information to locate them, he had feelings or impressions from these people that there was a good reason why they were missing and he should be respectful and not reveal them for the TV audience and all this. So my question to you, because I know I'm, I'm familiar with some of your targets. I was involved in, in Central American human rights and the wars going on there. I know how horrible a war experience can be. When you're doing these, is, does your like, uh, have you ever had it where your moral trigger says, I don't care what the army wants, I'm not gonna tell them this, or do you get in a, a moral dilemma or a moral uh, ordering when you're doing and thank you for your answer I feel like if I'm remote viewing and something's uncomfortable or I don't want to do it I don't do it I mean I I don't you know I don't do it you know if I'm in because if I can't if I don't want to do it I'm not going to do it so I can't go through and fake it just to come out with fake information and I do know that whenever I worked hostages, I was, there came a time whenever it was just so emotional that I had to back off for a while. Um, but yeah, oh yes, you do feel, um, you do get, especially the hostages and a lot of the, um, the drug interdiction. And, you know, the Soviet fixed sites, they were kind of sterile, but yeah, oh yeah, 
you're like, oh my God, it's heavy. You get the heavy. It's very heavy. Absolutely. Thank you very much. But yeah, you you just back. I just back off. But no, I mean, believe me, I feel like, I mean, I had management. They would push you. I mean, they wanted they wanted everything they could get out of you. And sometimes it's just better if when you're done, you're done. I mean, if a session lasts an hour, hour and a half, it's too long. You're going to get your information within 40 to 50 minutes. Anything after that, things start repeating themselves. Information starts repeating itself. So to even to go so long, I mean, it doesn't make sense because the energy comes in. It's going to be there. You're going to access it. You're going to be able to describe it. And then it's going to dissipate. And then you've got to get out. But yeah, I've been there where you get so damn tired and, and believe me, and they'll, they'll push you. They were pushing me. You have to say no, no more. And I was allowed to under human, under human use. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Angela. I have a, I have a question here. Well, I have two questions, actually. Uh, they come from different people, but they're the same thing, really. Um, Rita wants to know uh, if you've had any UFO experiences, sightings, or contact. And Tunde asked, uh, has Angela ever been targeted officially against any UFOs or ET targets? Um, I, I had a UFO experience whenever I was 13 or 14 years old. I was in, I think, eighth grade. And it was in the springtime, and there was a bunch of us young kids. We were playing baseball. It was at dusk. And we were done playing baseball, and it was getting dark, and we were walking home. And we did have a UFO sighting where a UFO flew over us, where it was going, and it was round. And and we screamed, and we screamed because we made the adults come out so they could see the UFO. But I did have, yes, I did have a UFO experience and I, and I had an experience um, when I retired in 2010, I had another experience I, I, out where I live. I felt like one night I saw a UFO. I actually lived in an apartment in Washington, D.C., where um, I had a friend who helped me find an apartment in D.C., and it used to be in the apartment building where she lived. And this woman was older than I, about 20, 30 years older. Well, in time, I moved to another apartment in the building. And it happened to be the apartment where she used to live years ago, where she raised her son and when he was a baby. So she came over to visit me one night. And she brought two friends. One, one woman's name was Madeline. There was another man. And she said, you know, Angela, she said, I just, she said, I brought my friends here because we remembered we used to have part, they were friends and they knew the apartment because that's where my friend used to live. So the woman Madeline said, she said, Ruth, do you remember what happened in this apartment? And Ruth said, no. And she said, this woman worked for a man named Adamski. He was an Egyptian. He was a UFO researcher. And the first film of the UFO was was filmed. They showed the filming of the first UFO film in the, in my apartment. So I lived in the, I called that my UFO apartment because a lot of people that had UFO experiences would come to that apartment. I had a call one night from a Senate staffer who was doing some research into the paranormal, and he wanted to meet with Whitley Stryber. He was the man who wrote, wrote Communion. They did a movie on Communion, 
he had a farm up in New York and he apparently he met the Grays or the Grays. Well, I got a call one night from a staffer who wanted to meet with Whitley, but he said Whitley was getting ready to go on, go on a plane to fly back to New York. And this guy, the staffer lived in Annapolis and he said, I don't have time to go home. Whitley doesn't have time to come up to my house. Can we just come to your apartment? Because Whitley was, I was close to, to Congress and Whitley was staying at a, at a, a hotel about 15 minutes from me. So they walked to my place in Whitley was, and so Whitley had explained, I mean, so that apartment brought a lot of the UFO people in. I, I always call it my UFO apartment. So yeah, I, I, I strongly identify with UFOs and people. They have a different, people that see UFOs, I mean, they just have a different hookup. They're just different. They have a different look. They're just, they're just different. Yeah, thanks for that. Any of you guys out there got any questions before I ask more off the board? I think it'd be interesting to put out a question as a general as to how many individual remote viewers have had an experience with a UFO. Um, I think Lynn Buchanan did, Joe McMonagle did, and I did. That's three. How many people here have, can you, you know, on camera, you can put up your hand, like, if you... If yeah. you did. yeah. They say so, when you, they say when you see a UFO, your life will change, which it certainly <laughs> does. Your whole outlook starts changing. Excellent. And uh, did were you ever targeted officially against any? Did you do any in in the unit or anything? Well, yeah, Ed Dames. You know, Ed Dames always had those. The what? The the Mars. The Mars. Yeah. I mean, you would, yeah, Ed Dames. But that you know, I don't. You would go in and and you know and. It leads you right to Mars, you know, and then you have to, yeah, Ed Dames, but that doesn't really count. I don't really count that. Yeah, that's great. I have a question from Sandra. She said, uh, before you receive feedback for a target, do you ever, ever have a sense that you were indeed on target? And did you sense a difference in quality of the information? A lot of times when I think I'm on target, I'm not. This is what I hate about remote viewing. And I and this is and if anybody can if anybody has any answers to this, I would appreciate it. A lot of times when I remote view and I think oh hi, I'm really on, I nailed it. I'm not. And then there's times where I'm so confused. I come out, I don't know what hit me, and then I'm on. So I don't know. Does any can anybody really gauge themselves? Because if you if you can tell me how you're doing it. Do you feel like the confusion helps keep AOLs out of the way? Um, no. Like, and that, and that would help you have a better session? No, when I walk out of the session, I get confused, not while I'm in it. Okay, I got you. If I come out with the feeling like, wow, I did really well, I don't. It's more like the feeling. No, the AOLs are always in there. That's another thing that gets on my nerves. Does anybody ever get less AOLs the more they do it? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, yeah, I can, you know, because I've kept on my uh, sessions for from 24 years and I can clearly see the first two years, uh, you know, all down the right-hand side of the page is one AOL after another. Now, in a general RV session, um, I may get one or two in a 20-page session, but I tend to ignore them. But but I am maybe of the abnorm in the fact that 
because it's work for me. I am doing four to five a week continuously for the last three years, but I have, you know, that's been my regime for 24 years now is every single week continuously four to five targets. So I'm quite comfortable with my, my own internal process. Oh, that's good. That's good. And that, I would say that was, that is good with the CRV. It does give you that structure because the ERV doesn't. So a lot of times you're just fly, you're flying around a lot before you're really getting in and, and, and the WRV is just, just it's, it's just really more phonetic than anything else, just getting the words. Any, que- any questions, guys? Quick question here. Uh, I have one as well when he's done. Thank you. Um, you know, yesterday I saw an, a video from someone from a review on one of Ingo's book, and she mentioned that, you know, most of those books were written way before the, the program ended and that probably many things could have been changed if he wrote the, those books later. But the overall theme around it is that there's quite a resistance from most of the public to, to these subjects. Probably it's been changing a little bit over the, the past few years, but anything like channeling, RV, whatever, meets, it's met with a little bit of resistance. Do you think that that's a, a accurate uh, assumption and do you think that had something to do with the RV official programs being shut down? Okay, who did you say wrote the, wrote the, wrote the book? Ingo. Okay. I, I think when I worked for the government, I felt there were some segments of the government that resisted the program, but yet I felt there were people for us. When I come out of the government now and I work, I still find resistance. But what I find amazing is just this, I just find it amazing that we, there's, this is a, there's a whole social class of people out there doing remote viewing. I mean, I think that's wonderful. I think there's resistance. I think people, when you, when you get out into the real world, they feel like the government wasted taxpayers' money. And there are there is resistance. But I also feel that there's more, for, for all of what's going on right now, I think that there's more understanding, too. Some people, I don't know, I don't know if that answers your question. Do you Thank think you. there's resistance to it? I feel there's some resistance. What I cannot still grasp around it is whether it's just, you know, natural, you know, of course you don't know something, you are a little bit like, uh, I'm not sure, or if it is, you know, or at least part of it is is well-structured, like, you know, let's push back this, but I still don't have an answer. So any answer is good, you know, any feedback, any comments come in and are welcome. Thank you. I think there's resistance, but I also feel there's a whole social there's a whole social thing going on here with remote. There's probably more remote viewers now than there ever were. There's a whole thing going on, so I think that kind of helps. Um, but yeah, I, I think that um, whenever you talk to people, and you, I know with if you could explain, it's a mental, it's a mind thing. It's a brain thing. That's okay. But when you start taking it into like, you know, the other realms that, you know, spiritual realms, and that's when people get goofy. They don't, that's when they go into fear. So whenever they would try to sell it to Congress, they just use it as a brain thing. But I think that we're, if we can forge ahead and just, 
I think it's just great the way that it's going. I mean, every time I'm on the internet, there's always something about remote viewing and how many people and who's doing what and all of these groups. I think it's great. Thanks very much. Go ahead, Rich. Uh, yeah, thanks for meeting with us, Angela. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you. So my question, so I'm very new to remote viewing. Um, so I'm certainly an amateur. <laughs> uh, but so when I was getting trained, one of the things we were tasked on was George Washington crossing the Delaware. And so uh, the feedback that I was getting was basically a group of men, like basically white water rafting. Okay. Very good. Very good. And uh, so, I don't know, it's just strange to me that the subconscious or the source or whatever can provide me the imagery and the information of whitewater rafting, but not George Washington on a boat crossing the Delaware. So do you think, is that more like AOLs coming into the mix or the subconscious no, is just complex and that's, it's. No, that's your right brain taking over. Okay. Uh, because if, if you had George Washington crossing the, crossing the Delaware on a boat, that would be your left brain. The fact that you got, the picture of men whitewater rafting would be telling me that you're in right brain. And that's exactly where you should be in remote viewing. Okay. That's the opposite that's of what I would have thought. So that's great. It's not AOL. It's the right brain. It's the right brain working for you. Wow. Okay, great. Thank you. It was very good. That's good. That's good viewing. Okay. When my husband, I, okay. Brenda Brown has a question. I think it's written. Um, Brenda, what, when you and your husband do remote viewing, what happens? I see several comments from Brenda. I don't see a question there. Uh, Hear me? Yes, go ahead. Okay. Um, when I did uh, David Morehouse's video um, RV, it was like when I did the second one, uh, Target, um, it third one came up and I knew the third, it wasn't supposed to be the third one, it's supposed to be a second one kind of thing. Um, I jumped, it jumped into the third one and then but I'm like, I'm just wondering how I knew that I was in the wrong one and I'd never done it before. Somebody didn't introduce me to it recently. Um, and other times when, and then the second one, when I was in there, I actually was in the Target and I was, um, I needed to, I, I didn't know what to do actually. And then I said, it's like, oh, wait, what does everybody else talk about? And I said, okay, I want to be somewhere else. And I was instantly. And then next minute I was back in the room. And it's just the experiences I've had with the RV are brilliant. They're great, you know. But, um, how, it's like I knew these different things was, was, was happening and I was in the wrong place. And I put myself in the right place, but without knowing how I did it. Yeah, I think you're oh, bilocating. Too complex, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think you're bilocating and you have a high intuition is what's going on there. High intuition and bilocating. That was very good. Yeah, it was like and it seems so the thing is it was felt so natural. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah I know. Then, when I I know when I saw the UFO it seemed natural. I know th these things are natural. It is natural. Yeah, no, I yeah, I know. And then when I over the years I like I didn't asked to see a UFOs, but um, I've been seeing them and people have been taking me to places where they are and they're showing me. 
in the sky and everything. Like in Edinburgh on the moon, a friend of mine took me up there and he said, look, just why don't we stand here and look at the sky? And we'd never spoke about it or nothing. And then I'm looking up and I'm seeing these like, it looks like birds, but it wasn't. It was, then we, I, I said, he said to me, do you see them? And then it was in the papers the next day. He actually took me to show me, he goes, they're here pretty regular. You know, and then other times people in my building when I moved to the States and everything, um, I'm back in Scotland now. And they would come to my door, new neighbours, and they said, we, they want you to talk to you. And I'm like, what? You know, it was kind of freaky at the time. <laughs> it was kind of scary. Wow. When I did go into their um, apartment, him and his daughter, the energy hit me and I felt it. And I, I more or less seen it I, in my mind, I saw it. I didn't, and I wasn't looking for it. And then it kept on, it keeps on happening. And my daughter had been telling me recently, she's in Weymouth, been in England. And she said, there, we, we saw things when she was 11 years old. We looked out the window and we seen two clouds. And then there was like a cloud on the cross and there was people walking across it. And I'm like, oh, I'm too tired. And um, my daughter looked up to me and she said, mother, why are those people walking across the clouds? And she's the one who just told me recently, just before Christmas, that um, they're outside her, the window at the right-hand side. I mean, my kid's so practical and everything else like that, for her to come away with something like that, you know, it's like, so I'm just wondering what's going on. Um, I think that you're very open. I think that um, you're you're going through a period where you're very being very open and very psychic and that you're seeing and experiencing things that other people aren't. Um, I, I feel like the universe is guiding you, protecting you, and that um, opening you up to new possibilities. And I think that's what's happening. It, it can be a very exciting time. Do you find it exciting or nerve-wracking, or how are you experiencing oh, it? I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And you feel like it's natural? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, give me more, you know? Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a, it's your opening. It's, it's, your, it's your, you're coming out. You're, 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 it's good. Yeah, you're going to end up being a very, uh, a very sensitive. Yeah, it's like, I mean, I used to get in trouble at school when I was a kid, you know, um, when I knew all this different stuff. But we we didn't, nobody spoke about it then. Everything, so my mother told me years later that our women and their family, but everybody has it. Um, you know, so it's like, oh, I just wanted to use it for good. I mean, to do something, especially with the stuff going on. You will. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. There's some way yeah. we can contact you afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can give you my e email address. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you. Sure. Angela, I have a question here from Tunde again. Um, uh, and I know that you, you've done quite a lot of work with, with Ed May. Um, and he, he's asking, uh, can you elaborate on some of the biggest uh, or some of your interesting ARV success trials that you've done with Ed May? Um, let me see. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't, the ARV, I remembered, what does Ed use? I think we did um, San Francisco Bridge. That was a good target. Um, no, I can't. Because I just, you know what, to me, it's just, they're all this, the site. All I do is access and describe the type, and then he kind of gives it a rating, and I, I just can't. I understand. Like I to be honest, for me, I mean, every target blends into each other. So, yeah, it does. That's yeah. how I feel. Yeah. It, yeah, that's how I feel. No worries. Has anyone else got any questions here that you'd like to ask, Angela? Um, I have a question. <laughs> Go ahead. Hi, Angela. Um, 
actually saw you before at Joe McMonagall's class <laughs> at the Marin Institute. But um, my question is, as you mentioned meditation, and I'm curious, what do you feel about uh, Vipassana or mindfulness meditation or what are the things that you recommend? Um, the mindfulness, actually what I really recommend, do you ever listen to music while you meditate? Uh, no, I, I only do Vipassana meditation or like a mindfulness meditation. Yeah, the mindfulness meditation is very good. And so is the other one. Um, I think that both of them give you a focus. They, they give you a focus. Um, and sometimes I just do a meditation with music and just do something. I let my mind go wherever, I, wherever it wants to go. I'll just listen to some music and lay down and just let it do whatever it wants to do. But then that's because I'm not remote viewing or anything. But if I remote view and you go down, you need the focus. So I think what you're doing with both of those types of medica- meditation is that you're training the mind to focus, which I think is very good. Do you feel good after those meditations? Um, I get a sense that... Uh, Part of it is not feeling. It's going beyond the concept of feeling um, is what I've been researching and reading is almost like transcending the senses in a way or like getting to a state without sensory experience. And I would say that's very good. Jazz? Go ahead, John. Um, yeah. In the uh, liquid nitrogen experiments that you yeah. did, I wondered if there was any, uh, if you noticed any difference about those in terms of the change in entropy and if that really felt different from a lot of the other targets that you did for Ed or I think elsewhere. It did. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it, I think I did. I think it did mm-hmm. make a, because the ones with the liquid nitrogen, I seem to have done, everybody seemed to have done better on and that it would, they, those targets were easier to get, um, get information on when I worked them, they were easier to, I would say that, yes. But, uh, but I thought that the initial results were really excellent. That's what Ed said. But then when the report was written, it seemed like there was a fall off. And I wondered if you'd observed that or noticed that or if you agree with that. Um, there could have been because I think people were, I think, how many times did he use us? Three times or four times? More than I that, think I think. The, yeah, I think at the end, people were just tired. I know mm-hmm. I was. And I think Joe was. Joe was getting where he wasn't feeling real good. Um, so yeah, I think you know it was just it was just at the at the end it, it was just we were tired of doing it. Yeah, Ed cited in the report that the travel was a problem and that you had personal issues, and so that yeah. may have all played into it, right? Yeah. Thanks for that. Uh, but I still think he could have cut cut it down a little bit. Yes, Des. On the same uh, experiment, because I, I read about this recently, um, if the results you got during the sessions were were better, were you actually picking up on and and describing the uh, the liquid nitrogen itself, or was it just the fact that it was there changing the entropy? Just the fact that there was it was just the fact that it was no, I I couldn't come out of session and say, oh yeah, that was the one with the liquid night. No, but the liquid nitrogen meant that what that gave a it gave a bigger signal right entropy is it gave a, a bigger signal it's sort of like remote viewers can re- do really well with weapons of mass destruction because 
it gives a loud signal. And that's what that was about. Okay, that's, yeah, that's very interesting. So it means that essentially then, in theory, we could make a really boring target work really well if we add entropy into the mix somewhere. Yes, yes. Right, John, is that how you see it? Yeah, so we could do that then with, because uh, inherently we seem to have a problem with uh, with numbers and, and letters and words and stuff. So if we maybe, if we were doing the lottery experiment or something, trying to get the first two digits of the first number, so if we find a way to add entropy to that, then we might help us get that data that little bit better. May I ask a question about that? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just wondering, these were basically outbounder targets, right? But sometimes they would have the canister and sometimes not. Do you think that perhaps you're, it's the excitement of the person with the canister that adds the, the draw for the viewer, especially at first when it's a novelty to them? And then maybe over time, the more times they're, oh, I've got another canister of liquid nitrogen to set off again. Like maybe that outbounder's excitement tended to dwindle. And if there was any decline effect over the course of it, it's not necessarily that the nitrogen made a difference at all, but the person who is the outbounder who had to set up being excited about the prospects of the nitrogen working and maybe having to handle liquid nitrogen and wondering whether it's going to blow up in their face or something. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think, John? I don't know. Maybe so. I'm sure that had something to do with it because if you followed a person, we, we followed people in outbound experiences where you follow the person and and if they do something silly or do something, you, you kind of bring attention. Maybe so. I don't know. But I think oh. they were entropy. Like what, you know, these weren't just right. They added some excitement to the, to the targets. Let, let me turn that into a question for you then yeah. about that, about emotion. Um, Cause there's two views on this. One is that you should really get all revved up, particularly for ARV on feedback. You should get all revved up and get emotional and celebrate. And other people say you should just be calm and, Neutral. I'm I'm kind of in the latter category for myself with with ARV. But I'm asking. I'm wondering, wondering about you and emotions. Like if you had a emotional morning and then you went to re remote view, whether back in the day or recently, if that affects your viewing and, and you, or you try to get neutral through through meditation. It, it can. I mean, if I'm having a suppose I'm supposed to remote view in the morning and I'm having a in the in the yeah. If I'm having a bad morning and then I have to go remote view, it can interfere. So somehow. Um, somehow you just have to make it not interfere. Um, I think that if you're in a good mood and can stay neutral, I, that's good. I, I mostly get more excited if I see the feedback and I did well, it makes me very happy. But other than that, I try as, as prior to remote viewing, I try to stay in neutral. I try not to get rattled because it, it can. If something goes wrong, it will affect my viewing. Absolutely. Uh, could, but, yeah. yeah. I wanted to ask a follow-up related to ARV. Um, so am I understanding that you did do some ARV for Ed where there might have been sports involved or yeah. financial? So, yeah. okay, so when you got the feedback on that, uh, was there an emotional, uh, did he encourage emotion on your part or did it not matter? And I guess, do you have any statistics on the success rate that you had have any, with that? I don't have any statistics. All I know, if I do a target and I do well on it, it makes me very happy. <laughs> right. I feel like oh, I still got it. <laughs> here, here. I hate to miss, <laughs> I hate to miss, it will ruin my day. If I, right, right. Okay, you know, thanks, if I get thanks, feedback yeah. and I'm off and I didn't do well, it will ruin my day. 
I got it, you know, I've got to do it and get it right again. So yeah, nobody likes to have a miss. Uh, I always blame on the target. <laughs> just one more question, then I'll shut up. Um, so do you feel that there was any displacement observed during the uh, Ed's, you know, computer-assisted scoring software that you did, you and Joe and, and Nevin do with that software? Do you, do you feel there was any displacement ever occurring in that? Okay, what do you mean by displacement? To the other, to the other photo that you never see and that Ed never sees. I don't know. I, I don't know. There could, I don't know. There could be, but um, I worked with some people who, whenever you did the ARV, they, at the end, they would show you the pictures and then, be, and then they would show you the other pictures or people wanted you to work where you would see both pictures. And that would get real confusing because then the, then you know that you're going to see two pictures. And if you know, you're going to see two pictures, then you end up remote viewing both pictures. So that's why if that's why when you see the picture and maybe I'm off, maybe there, maybe there is displacement. I don't know, but I don't want, if I don't, I don't need to know because if I'm looking at the other pictures, then the next time I go remote view and I'm getting feedback and then I'm going to see pictures, then I'm going to know that I'm seeing all of these pictures and then I'm picking that up. So I just, just show me the, I'm going to remote view a picture, show it to me, let me know whether I'm on or off. And that's all I need to know. I don't, I'm not, because I know what you're saying, but I have worked where I've seen both pictures and actually it doesn't work quite yeah. honestly. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank you. May I ask um, two questions? One is really short and then the other one is longer and you probably will have a better chance of answering it. But um, the first question is, do you happen to remember what PRV is? It was on a, a after session report sheet as a type of remote viewing, but uh, other people from Stargate don't remember what it was, and it may be because it didn't work. But P, as in Paul RV, that's probably not what it was. But who do you remember who did the session? Um, I saw it wasn't a session that was done. It was the session that was done was. Uh, CRV or ERV, I think, but it was on the list of things that could be circled as a type of RV. Um, uh, on that list were CRV, ERV, BRV, which is binary, and then ARV, which is associative. But PRV, um, at least Paul and Lynn both didn't recall. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Predictive, maybe. Okay. Could I say it again. It might be predictive remote viewing because we did. Predictive did a couple of projects. right. Oh, I can't remember Project Seventeen or something where they tried to predict uh, news headlines in advance, that kind of thing. Yeah, could have been maybe. predictive. Yeah, maybe. Okay. And then the other question was: Let's say somebody was interested in in learning some channel. I mean, WRV. If somebody was interested in learning some WRV, what kind of steps would you recommend? Is it something that's accessible to everybody, like remote viewing seems to be, or is it something that you feel? is innate and certain people are drawn to it. No, and do you I've feel it's possible to go ahead? No, I've trained people in WRV. What would be some do. first steps? I think that you put the um you put the pen to, you put the pen to the paper and you kind of watch the you know and do free flowing and watch the ideograms, ideograms, I call them idiotgrams, and just in you get free flowing and then you kind of get into a meditative state and then you just start receiving information. And that's how the Soviets trained. 
So in your opinion, does, does there have to be any kind of entity involved at all? Or is, is kind of an aspect of higher self enough to aspect of, aspect of higher self is enough to do it. Absolutely. My, my abs, aspect of higher self will make, and you can do it. Yes. You'll find you'll start drawing, you'll get messages, but yeah, the higher self. Yes. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. So I'm just curious, when do you use a um, target ID when you do WRV? Uh, not now. I just, you mean, do I use a, no, I don't. Do you use a target ID? Do you use an ID? Uh, well, traditional remote viewing, you know, you have the eight digit number or whatever, right? Do you use oh. that when you WRV? Um, yeah, they usually somebody gives it a number or something. So whatever they depends who I'm working with. I don't know. Ed just uses numbers or letters, but yeah. Oh yeah. I will give the target, whatever, Ed, whatever somebody names it. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. That helps it clear. It clarifies and that kind of stuff just helps clarify everything. And, you know, if you have clarification, it's good. Yeah, I call it Admin. It's just like a, a name for the project or, or whatever you're using, something to focus upon. So, yeah, to help provide a focus. Yeah. Any other questions, guys? Just a quick one, Angela. You mentioned about music. Do you listen to instrumental or combination instrumental and vocal? Oh, instrumental, just instrumental. Okay. And I can't listen to rain because it just makes you want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> but instrumental and nature sound, you know, like they have, but oh, the water, oh, they got that. It just makes you, I just can't relax with the water. <laughs> but they're not voices because then I start listening to the music and not, you know, and, but instrumental, instrumental, yeah. just something that makes everything where you just zoom out. Relaxed. Yeah, that's it. Natalia's got it. <laughs> yeah. I have a question. Uh, I read an article about a case you worked for uh, for a Clinton aide called Esther, who had a missing daughter, and you yes. and Joe McMoneagle were at the case. Uh, yes. And you were accurate with your information that you passed to the FBI. Yes. Uh, is could you give us a for the guys that don't know about this? Could you give us a brief overview of that case because that sounds pretty fantastic. Um, I had a friend who uh, worked at the White House. She worked for the Clinton administration. And uh, her daughter, she had three children that were living with her at the time. But her daughter, I think just, she got up one morning and her father, her daughter was not there. She did not know where her daughter was. And they had to, um, her daughter disappeared. So um, Ed May ran I think it was three of us, uh, Nevin Lance, Joe and I, to find out what happened to the daughter. And I think Joe and I said she was, I thought she was, she was going to be okay or she was going to be found. But in the meantime, the woman was frantic because she didn't, you know, she didn't know what to think. And as it turned out, uh, the young girl, I think, just kind of had a like a little mental snap. And so she left, she left her mother and she traveled south. I think into the Florida area to just go be with her dad. 
And um, we were able to, we, we, I think we had the direction where she was going, where she was. We were able to say when she went to an ATM and got some money. But, um, but because the woman worked at the White House, um, of course, they, they got the FBI involved immediately because, um, and I think it was because she she had it was she went to Clinton and he really he got on it. But I think we were able to provide some information that Ed was able to con- that she was able to confirm as to where she was, what she was doing. And we felt she would be fine. And I think it was a relief to her mother whenever that she was finally found. That's fantastic. Great. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, we're getting close to two hours, guys. Do any of you guys have any extra questions you want to ask? Uh, or do you want to wind this down a little bit? Can, can I ask? Go ahead. Um, what was the reason for you to go to Moscow and talk to the Russian psychics? Is it just for books or for writing books? Um, well, what happened was was um, when the Soviet Union fell in 1991, Ed May started to go over there because he was very interested in what their scientists were doing. While he over the trips that he made, he was able to meet the general who was in charge of the their remote viewers, and so Ed wrote a book. It was called ESP. East and ESP wars, East versus West, and he talked about our program and how we spied on the, on the Soviets. The Soviets wrote a book in Russian in called ESP Wars West versus East. So it was because of these two books that there was a Russian newspaper that invited the authors of the book, which happened to be Ed, Joe McMonagall, some other people. And he, they, and because of the authors of the book and because of the people that were involved in these two programs in both of these countries, this newspaper decided to give us a reception in our honor. But I say it was because of the books. Mm-hmm. So when we went there, it was because it was because of the books. And then we got to meet each other and it was wonderful. They were very nice people. Yes. Russian psychics are always nice. What? Russian psych is always nice. <laughs> that was wonderful. It was a it was a trip of a lifetime. It was just wonderful. Yeah, I can feel that. Just one quick question from my side. This is open ended question, just general. But what do you think uh, is coming up for RV in the future? Uh, let's say one to five years from now with all the general interest and how things are developing, people getting more proficient, will be uh, changing drastically, will stay the same. What are your views on this? Oh, I, th- I think that, um, I think that um, people will become better. I think it will open up to more people. Um, I think that we're in a very, I think humanity is in, I think that we're in a very, interesting time i think what do they say the world changes our world changes every fifty thousand years we're in the time period now where the sun the way the sun is shining it's changing the way that the sun is sits where it sits and how it's shining it's changing our dna we're coming into um 
at new, you know, I mean, everything is changing. Our political structures are being broken down, our economic structures, things are breaking down. We're, we're getting ready, I guess, for this new world. And I think remote viewing is going to be a large part of it. People, people just cure, people have a right to be curious as to who they are, how did we get here, you know, you know, they want to know how does their mind work. They want to be intuitive. They, they want to know these things. And I think that I, I think that there'll be more remote viewing and I think it'll be wonderful. I think we're just going into, what do they say? The age of Aquarius. I mean, this could be it. Thanks for sharing. I think it's a good way to go. Do you feel better when you remote view? It's calming, isn't it? Doesn't it? It kind of opens you up a little bit. You feel calmer and more intuitive and you can kind of problem solve a little better. Isn't I that guess it? For, the, for some days I get, you know, a little bit more intuitive. The only exceptions are a few targets that really, you know, had caused an impact in me. And besides those few exceptions, everyone, every other time, it's like when you go out of meditation, right? You mm-hmm. feel like as some clear, clearness in your head you know i wear glasses i only use them to see from afar but if i don't use it all the time i forget and and lose them everywhere but some days i will wake up and i don't need glasses and gradually i I lose clearness of my sight and i use this as analogy because it's exactly the same with rv for me at least um i was gonna ask you something i forgot I forgot what I where do you live? Where do you live? You will be familiar. I'm I'm living in Guatemala, so Central America affairs. <laughs> That's what I mean. This remote viewing's worldwide. It's going everywhere. People want to know and they're connecting. And um I think that it's just gonna get better. I mean, I think everything's gonna get better. I hope. I mean, that's we're in they say we're in this is our time to change. Angela, okay, Angela, I have a question. Uh, do you think um, remote viewing will be introduced to younger people? I mean, for 20 plus years, and I used to be a yoga teacher, and I used to teach meditation as well. And at the time, when I used to go out and give talks on it as well, I used to say that two things that should be introduced into schools, that's meditation and philosophy. Um What's your what's your view on young people? When I say oh, young people, are people like under twenty in their teens? And oh po- yeah, possibly even younger. Yeah. Oh yeah. If they, if you, I can remember um, Ed Dames would bring his his child was very young. This was a little boy. He must have been. He wasn't even in school. He must have been four or five years old. And Ed Ed would hold a, you know a marble in his hand, and he would ask he would ask the baby you know, which hand has the marble? Show me where the marble is. And the boy would just stand there and point to the arm and who had where the arm are, or Ed would be there and he'd say, where's the red marble? Show me where the red marble and the little boy would. And he was good at, I mean, if, if you can bring absolutely because the younger people are the more open they are and the better they can the better they will perform. Mm. And, and that way they get self-esteem. They feel good. So, they don't have to hide their feelings about it, but they said that that's how Russell Targan put off when they were studying remote viewing, they were getting results from what the Chinese, what Chinese children were doing. 
Um, oh. And in fact, in Chinese, they were these young children. I guess when you interpreted the Chinese, what these kids were saying is I see remotely I, or I remotely view. And that's how the word remote viewing came up because of these young Chinese children remote viewing. But I feel that if you can bring somebody in young and train them, give them tests, keep them open. Absolutely. Because the young children are born open. They're born mm -hmm. psychic. They close down once they get into schools and they close down, mm -hmm. you know, if other people don't have the experiences like them. So the younger that you can train them, I say, I'm all for it. Thank you. It doesn't do any harm. One of the questions here, Angela, is uh, are you working on any, any kind of projects or research now? Um, I think Ed May may have a project coming up pretty soon in March, uh, probably just for statistic purposes. Um, so I'll be working with him on that. And then I do some personal readings, and that's about it for now. But I do some writing now. Oops, and, sorry. Uh, you do do it. Do you do any teaching? Like, if any of the guys here wanted yeah. to contact you or anything, could they? Could they do? Oh, that? sure, sure. Yeah, uh, my uh, my email is my name backwards, all in small letters. Ford Angela zero four at gmail dot com. Ford Angela zero four at gmail dot com. Where'd your little baby go, Pablo? Pablo. She was hungry, so <laughs> oh, she was pretty. I handed her over. Thank you very much. How old is she? She looked like a little baby. She's How old is she? uh, ten months old. Oh, that's a oh wow, that's tiny. Yeah, growing as fast as she can, but yeah, really tiny. Oh, I'm training. She Not usually training. gets here with me during during dance calls. And I think she will be learning RV faster than any one of us. Yeah. So that's really nice. Get them young. Get them young. You can't, I mean, it's the way to get them before they have a chance to be exposed to any, just get them young. But I can remember Ed Dames with, with, with his little boy. Absolutely. Okay, guys, any last questions before we start to wind this down? Let Angela get away after two two hours of... Question. I have a question for you, Des. How are you going to get the um, information that's in the chat? I, I think you mentioned that you wanted to put like book titles or something like that somewhere. What I'll, uh, what I'll do is I'll get uh, some details off Angela about her books, how to contact her and everything. And what I'll do is when I put the video upon no well can Angela, would it be okay to add that to the YouTube comments and on, on the description on there? Yeah, I didn't write the books. You understand that, right? Yes, yeah. They were, yeah, there were some books that were written. You want to add it to the YouTube content? Uh, yeah. yeah, if that's okay with you. And what about your email link, or don't you want that out there? Yeah, you can put that in there. Okay. Sure, yeah. that's how I get clients. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I'll add it all to the uh, to the description yes. not on the YouTube video, and, you know, anyone then can access Angela's mm -hmm. work and uh, access you. All right, perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Wow, what time is it in Guatemala? Uh, 6 p.m. Okay. So oh, we're uh, around seven hours behind us, I guess. Yeah, it's midnight here in the UK, just past midnight. 
Yeah. yeah. And where are you from? The committee? Committee? Where Who? are you? You Australia? Me. That's me. <laughs> oh, okay. What time is it where you were? It's 8 a.m. Okay. Wow. Oh, it's already yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be going to sleep soon. Thank you very much indeed for your time, Angela. It has been absolutely well, wonderful. Well, thank you all. I mean, thank you all. I know we're on, all on different time zones, and thank you very much, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you very, very much, much, everyone. Thank you, Angela. Yeah, thank you, Angela. Thank you. For that was really special. Sharing it with us. Uh, hopefully, we'll get you on again uh, sometime in the future, and we can. I hope know, so. I hope so. It's good to see you, John. I haven't, I haven't seen or spoken to you for a while. Thank you, Angela. Maybe, maybe in March when you come out, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Angela. This has been brilliant. It's been really interesting to hear. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I just sent you an email. Okay. Okay. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. God bless you. Bye bye. And get out there and start training. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Well, we'll end it there, everyone. Again, Angela, thank you very much for giving us your time and, and all your great experiences and being very candid as well. It's great to hear the other side of what happened you know with, with the stargate unit and everything uh yeah hopefully we'll have you on again soon and yeah i can't thank you enough from everyone here uh thank you look forward, look forward to speaking to you again in the future and thank, thank you guys for holding such holding you, yes. session that's okay guys well i'm gonna end it here now so I'll, I'll press the end button and you can all go and i'll spend the next hour rendering the video but <laughs> you guys have a good evening and a good weekend and i'll see you again soon Okay, bye-bye. Thank you all okay. very much. Bye-bye. Thank bye -bye. you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Signal Line, a remote viewing podcast. Don't forget to check out remoteviewed.com for remote viewing resources or our videos on YouTube under Remote Viewed. Remote Viewed.